From Church on Morgan, a United Methodist congregation whose desire is to be a reminder of the beauty of God and each other. This podcast is a collection of Sunday teachings inspired by the Revised Common Lectionary and recorded weekly in Raleigh, North Carolina. And now, a moment of silence before this episode begins. Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And so listen, hear this reading from God's Word. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Human beings shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give His angels charge of you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to Jesus. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Bless, O Lord, the words of my mouth. And the meditations of each of our hearts, for you are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. We have entered into the season of Lent. This is the first Sunday of Lent. And if you're not familiar with uh, the liturgical calendar, Lent is that 40-day period, not including Sundays, that begins with Ash Wednesday leading us to Easter Sunday. And so Lent is a season uh, in which the, the, the scripture readings, particularly the gospel texts, are marked by uh, serious subjects. Lent is a serious season. It's a somber season. It's not, it doesn't have to be a depressing season. It doesn't have to be a sad season. But the gift the church gives us in the season of Lent is Lent forces us to deal with many issues we'd rather avoid. We'd otherwise rather avoid. And so Lent says, no, we're not let you do that. Because with these texts, and so in the season of Lent, as you'll see, we begin, we begin with a, with a, with a scripture passage about sin and temptation. But in the season of Lent, we will talk about betrayal, and we'll talk about denial, and we'll talk about sorrow and suffering and death. All of those things we do our best to avoid talking about. Our culture, for instance, is terrible about talking about death and dealing with death and the reality of death. Even when it's imminent, we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to discuss it. Our loved ones don't want to talk about it. And so what we often do with death is we we make fun of it. We mock it because that's a way of not taking it seriously. That's a way of keeping it at arm's length. And so we we sort of joke about it and we laugh about it. You know the old phrase, whistling past the graveyard? That's what that meant was you you act like you're brave. I'm just whistling. I'm just out here midnight walking past the grave. But I'm not scared because we avoid it. We make fun of it. We mock it. 
And so we have video games, we play video games with all this blood and gore and death, but we don't take it seriously. We know it's not real. We don't take it seriously. We just laugh at it. It's so ridiculous that it's, that it's funny. We have movies with, we watch movies with body counts in the hundreds. We don't take it seriously. We just kind of chuckle about it. We have TV shows about people that come back from the dead called zombies. And they're funny and we laugh because they walk funny and they munch on things and they're killed in graphic ways. And so if, I, if I've served no other, no other purpose this day, let me just go ahead and share with you. If your skill set, if your plan for the future is to prepare for a zombie apocalypse, please go into computers or something because it's not happening. They're not, they're not real. Zombies aren't real. So your skill set is not going to be useful later. That's supposed to be funny. You know, that reminds me. That reminds me one time. I, 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 so when I was in the bishop's office, I guest preached throughout North Carolina. And I went to guest preach one time. And Pam didn't come with me because she was uh, she's sitting right over there. Hey, Pammy. She uh, was at Eden Street. And so she didn't come with me. So I came home and she said, how'd it go? I said, well, it went fine. I said, but they didn't laugh at any of my jokes. She said, did you ever stop to think you're not funny? I said, no. <laughs> Never crossed my mind, honey. No, I know. It wasn't me. So anyway, I, I, I digress. Where was I? Oh, zombies. Yeah, so anyway. You see, now that's, uh, this is not the part where I criticize your gaming habits or your viewing habits. I promise you, I could not care less about your viewing habits. But here's what I would say. When we treat serious subject matters like they're a joke, like they're funny, like it's just all fun and games, then sooner or later, death will come to our doorstep. And it will not be at our neighbor's house, and it will not be somebody halfway around the world we don't know. It will come to our house. And if we haven't dealt with it, if we haven't thought about it, if we, haven't pray, if we don't have a theology of it, if we haven't thought about life after death and what that means in this life and how we handle grief and sorrow and pain and say goodbye to loved ones, then we're totally unprepared to deal with something that sooner or later is coming our way. Uh, the, the first Sunday of Advent, uh, the first Sunday, excuse me, of Lent, the first Sunday, of, let me get my season straight, the first Sunday of Lent is always, the gospel text is always the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Today's, this year it's Matthew, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have the story in various iterations. And so it's always the story because we begin with sin and temptation. Jesus is led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And so we do the same thing with sin and temptation. We try to, instead of talking about temptation, instead of dealing with temptation, we, we make it into a joke. If I said to you, can you think of a time when you were tempted? Most of us would come up with a story like this. Yeah, 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 it was last week. Oh, last week, really? You were tempted last week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We went out to eat. Steakhouse. I had, we had an appetizer. I had a salad. I had a steak and baked potato. And I was stuffed full. And then, you know where I'm going. And then the wait staff came by with the dessert tray. And I said, oh, don't tempt me. Whatever you do, don't tempt me. So I was tempted but I resisted temptation. If that's your understanding of temptation, then we need to talk. Because Jesus isn't being tempted by dessert. Jesus is led into the desert to wrestle with temptation. He isn't struggling with whether to have dessert or not. See what I just did there? Desert, dessert. That popped into my head at 8.30. And I told them at 8.30, I'm going to say it at 11 o'clock because then I'm going to tell my wife all the way home how clever I am. Because it just kind of popped into my head, desert, dessert. All right, you're welcome. So anyway, Jesus is led into the desert, 
but he's struggling with something very powerful. He's struggling with something very real. This isn't whether to have dessert or not. This isn't, uh, you, you could say, well, yeah, I was tempted yesterday. It was rainy and cold, and I was supposed to go to the gym, and I rolled over, and I, I thought, I want to hit the snooze button, but I thought, no, no, I got to get up. So I resisted temptation. That's how we talk about temptation. But the truth is, you and I both know that often temptation, what Jesus is wrestling with is something far deeper than that because Jesus is wrestling with something that has the power to change his life and his future. He's wrestling with who he's going to be and what kind of Messiah he's going to be, what kind of ministry he's going to have. He's not wrestling with some trivial kind of thing, you see? And so sometimes temptation isn't funny. It isn't the punchline to a joke, is it? A woman has kept the books at a family-owned business for years. They consider her part of the family. They talk about her as part of the family. She's kept the books for so long, and they trust her so much, they don't even do an audit. They just trust that she's keeping them. And all of a sudden, after 20 years, a voice begins in her head. It doesn't matter why. It could be that um, she's run into financial difficulties, got a couple kids in college, could be that she started being resentful of them and their lifestyle. But there is this voice that begins in her head that says, you know, if you just hit one key on the computer, you could transfer that account to your, your bank account. Nobody will ever know. They won't. They don't follow up. Nobody. You, you, you could just one key, just one key. When the voice comes into your head that says nobody will ever know, trust me when I say this, somebody will know. If nothing else, you'll know and God will know. Right. And so and so that that's temptation. Now, that's temptation because that has the power to totally change her life. It has the power to take away her freedom. It has the power to take away her job, has the power to ruin her relationships, perhaps her marriage, her standing in the community. Now, that's somebody. So she sits there in front of the computer. Does she? Doesn't she? Does she? Doesn't she? That's what we're talking about when we talk about temptation. Temptation is the man who reaches into his pocket to get his keys and he feels a poker chip and that poker chip represents 20 years of sobriety. He's been sober for 20 years in AA. And he carries that around to remind him of his sobriety because there was a time when alcohol took everything he owned. It took his marriage, it took his children, it took his, his uh, uh, job, took his freedom. And so he's been 20 years sober and he reminds himself of that daily. But something's happened. Struggles in his marriage, struggles at work, whatever it is. His wife is out of town visiting her sister and he's sitting in the den and the voice begins, just one drink. Just one. No one will ever know. And so he's sitting there, handshaking, sweating. That is what we're talking about when we talk about temptation. Jesus isn't tempted. He's not worried about his waistline. Jesus isn't tempted with extra calories. He isn't tempted with sweets. That's not what we're talking about. Jesus is tempted with the very direction of where his life is going to be, going to go, and who he's going to be, and what kind of Messiah he's going to be. We don't want to trivialize what's happening in the gospel. This is serious. The Bible later says that Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. And so he's struggling here. He's wrestling here. It's not that the temptations are necessarily bad. It's not that the things he, the devil's asking him to do are necessarily bad. Turn stones into bread. You could see where that could be useful. You could see where he could feed a lot of hungry people. The problem is, that temptation can always seem reasonable. The problem is when we're tempt tempted, the reason it's, it's tempting, the reason we struggle is because we can always, 
We can always justify it. Now remember, up until this point in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew has taken three chapters to kind of go through the genealogy, the birth, and the flight to Egypt, and then early on, uh, the baptism. And so Jesus is still wet from his baptism when he goes into the wilderness to be tempted. At this point in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has not preached a sermon. He hasn't done any miracles. He hasn't healed anybody. And so you could, you could make the case, you, you, you're out here in the wilderness by yourself, just you and the, you could practice Jesus, just turn some stones into bread, you could practice. Takes him up top of the temple and says, throw yourself off. God says he'll protect you, you know God will protect you. Takes him on top of a mountain, shows him all of the kingdoms of the world and says, you know I could make you king, if you'll bow down to me I'll make you king. Doesn't that have a nice ring to it, King Jesus? You wouldn't have to be like Herod. You wouldn't have to be a mean king. You could be a nice king, King Jesus. Jesus is wrestling with temptation in the same way that we wrestle with temptation. He's wrestling with temptation for this reason, because temptation can always seem reasonable. You see, the problem with temptation is it never rings the doorbell and says, I'm here to ruin your life. If it did that, we wouldn't give in, would we? I mean, if you're sitting at home on a Friday night and temptation rings the doorbell and says, I'm here to ruin your life, you, 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 you wouldn't say, well, come on in. I mean, I was, I was going to watch Netflix, but am I, I mean, I don't know. I have, can I get you a drink? Can I get you some drink? How long is this going to take? Can you ruin it tonight? Or is it going to take a couple weeks? Or exactly how long a time frame are we talking about? That isn't how temptation appears, because if it did, it would be easy to say no to. The problem with temptation is at the time, it can seem like a good idea. Remember the story of the first temptation in the Bible, Adam and Eve. You know what question they're asked by the serpent? They aren't, uh, the serpent doesn't come to them and say, hey, psst, I got a six pack and a pack of camels over here in the bushes. You want to have a party? That isn't what happens. That'd be easy to say no to. The serpent doesn't say, uh, don't you want to be like the devil? Oh, get away from here. You know the question? Don't you want to be like God? You see the struggle, don't we? Isn't that what we're trying to do? Isn't that what we're trying? You know, God said you shouldn't. You can do anything, but don't eat of this. Don't you want to be like God? That's the problem. The problem with temptation is it, it can seem at the time like a good idea. And so, but Jesus, Jesus knows who he is. And Jesus knows what kind of Messiah he's going to be. And so this is the other lesson for us in this passage. Jesus, it, it isn't, there's no indication in the Gospels that Jesus wrestles with these decisions. Turn these stones into bread, and you, we don't get an indication Jesus goes, huh, let me think about that for a minute. Because the first time you do that with temptation, the first time you take a pause and say, let me think about that, you're already down the path, because you're already thinking about doing something you know you shouldn't do. You see, Jesus knew who he was called to be. Jesus wasn't called to do stunts. He doesn't do miracles. Jesus never does a miracle as a PR thing. He never does it to entertain the crowds, right? Hey, y'all, watch this. Want to see what I can do? I'll turn stones into bread. That's, he never does miracles as PR stunts. He never does miracles to draw attention to himself. He does miracles as acts of mercy, and he does them to draw attention to the kingdom of God and to the gospel. So Jesus knows who he is, and the lesson to us is don't decide who you are in the middle of temptation. You want to know who you are before temptation ever comes. You want to know what decisions you'd make and what you'd say yes to and what you'd say no to before you're ever in the middle of temptation. That's a bad time to be deciding. 
So the truth is, Jesus is wrestling here because he's human, but he says no quickly because he knows who he is and he knows who he's called to be. This is temptation at its very basic. At the beginning of his public, mirror, uh, public ministry, Jesus has to answer who he's going to be and what kind of Messiah he's going to be. He knows what the crowds want. You know what the crowds want? The crowds want to be entertained. That's the nature of crowds. The problem with crowds is it's never enough. And you know that from your own life. And, I, and you know that I've been part of a crowd and you've been part of a crowd. And you know as well as I do, I don't think I've ever seen an interview with the winning quarterback of the Super Bowl that didn't begin with this question. You think you can do it again next year? The confetti hasn't stopped falling. And already the pressure is to repeat it. Why? Because one's never enough. Because a crowd is never satisfied. And so Jesus knows that. Later on in the Gospels, you'll recall he feeds, uh, uh, he feeds more than 5,000 people with a little child's lunch. And the very next scene in the Gospel is someone comes to him from the crowd and says, can you show us a sign that you're from heaven? He still had the crumbs in his beard because that's the nature of crowds. And so Jesus doesn't give in to that because Jesus knows who he is and who he's called to be. The answers Jesus is answering in the, in the wilderness, what he's struggling with here is, who am I and what is God calling me to do with my life? The poet Mary Oliver asks those questions this way in her poem, The Summer Day. Who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper, this grasshopper, I mean? The, the, the one who has flung herself out of the grass, the one who is eating sugar out of my hand, who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down, who is gazing around with her complicated and enormous eyes. Now she lifts her forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't exactly know what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields, which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what are you going to do with your one wild and precious life? Who am I? What is God calling me to do with my life? Those are questions we can't answer for you. The hard work of answering those questions is your work to do. And in some ways, it's a lifelong work. But we're going to keep asking the questions. The gift the church gives is to not let you forget the questions. And so Sunday after Sunday, week after week, season after season, year after year, we just keep asking those questions. If you think about it, they're the two most important questions in life. If you think about it, they're the essential questions of life. Now, we've been doing this for 2,000 years. So I have news for you. We're not going to stop asking. Who are you? And what does God want you to do with your one wild and precious life? In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining today. 
If this episode has been meaningful to you, would you take a moment to share it with a friend? To support this ministry or learn more about our community, visit us at churchonmorgan.org.